Hey Lobo, my name is Dave from Georgia. I listen to Project Archivist every show, and uh, I just wanted to call and say hello to you, man. Sometimes you say that you don't get calls, or people call and they hang up when you answer. And uh, actually, I had an idea, man. My family is on a walk, and we're standing here watching a boxcar train go by very slowly. And I was thinking it was kind of spooky and thinking about hobos and uh, I thought an interesting show might be about hobos and hobo culture and maybe some uh, train hopping type ghost stories and things like that. But anyway, uh, just an idea. I really called to tell you that I love the show and uh, just to pick your brain, man. You and I got a similar sense of humor and I think it'd be cool to talk to you. So maybe I'll try you again sometime, man. Have a great day. Peace. As far back as educated men have recorded their history, Veils have been lowered to disclose a vast new reality, rents in the fabric of man's awareness. And somewhere in the endless search of the curious mind lies the next vision, the next key to his infinite capacity. Start off the show or whatever. No. Break tradition. <laughs> I don't give a. I don't give a hoot. I don't care. Whatever. <laughs> it's tradition. I guess so it's slinging do. turkeys into a in, uh, garbage disposal, but slinging turkeys into a, a garbage disposal is tradition, huh? Sure. Why not? <laughs> I've heard of worse traditions. No <laughs> rocks at them. Hey everybody, welcome back. This week, as the voicemail at the beginning of the show might have hinted, we're going to cover hobos. Hobo culture, hobo terminology, all of the things that we can find or that we know of that has to do with hobos. It's a uh, it's an odd subject actually because we didn't we we didn't know how quite how to approach this one. Like this is it's not quite a weird topic, but it's a cool topic. It's pretty neat. No, I guess you could say neat. Uh, yeah, neat if would we be were cool. like five. <laughs> it's nifty. It's it's a spiffy topic. It's weird because like I didn't. I wasn't even sure – well, we'll go into it, but I wasn't even sure if hoboing still happens anymore with the trains and the classic vision of people just hopping on trains and stuff like that because everything is so tight and stringently controlled now. But apparently it still happens, so sure. we're going to get to that. But um, uh, Hobo style. Oh, God, no. Why did you have to do that? Because I so, can't. What have you been up to? Anything new, exciting, nope. different now? Working a million hours still. Still working a million hours? I'm still not How working. Are my jobs, man? As I said, I was I was asked to go back to Mexico, but I I decided I didn't want to. Might be regretting that decision. I, I decided know. that the king will not be returning to Mexico. I might go if there's another trip going down there. I might go, but they want me to go down to Mexico City, which isn't where I was before, and I'm not real comfortable going to Mexico City because they don't like where I was before. They spoke English relatively. You they could you could get across what you were trying to do or. You know, there's enough people that understood English or understand what you're trying to get at. Mexico City is a little bit different. And then you've got the problems that are going on down there and stuff. And if I would have went, it would have been for two to three weeks. And I'm not sure where I was going. I had internet access and it would have made calling home a problem. And my cell phone probably wouldn't have worked. I could come up with a litany of reasons why I didn't want to go. I may still end up going at some point if there's another trip. If they ask me again, I might go. I don't know. I'll have to know. Decide when the time comes. But anyways... Moving wow, on like to hope. Captain indecision. No, I was pretty. I was pretty <laughs> confident. I didn't want to go when they asked me to go. They were like, "Will you go?" And I'm like, "Nope, nope." As I said on Facebook, triple nope. <laughs> Anyways, 
moving on to hobos. going to try to do is to try to break this down into I guess categorically or just describe what hobos are. Essentially, without getting into too much of what we're going to get into, a hobo is more or less a person that is a free a free living lifestyle that travels. But we're going to go into more of an expounding of what that will be. So go ahead and take it away. Hobo. A hobo is a migratory worker or homeless vagabond, especially one who is penniless. The term originated in the western, probably northwestern United States during the last decade of the 19th century. Unlike tramps, who work only when they are forced to, and bums, who do not work at all. Hobos are workers who wander. Homelessness has been a perennial fact of life for human societies, and many homeless people have historically traveled to seek work or find friendlier communities that they might be of assistance for charitable organizations, churches, or individuals. In the 1800s, many of these vagrants started train hopping, a practice in which people sneak onto trains for travel, and the term hobo, which arose in 1847, appears to have been linked to specifically train hopping transients in particular. A hobo may be homeless by choice, preferring an open-air lifestyle. Or he or she may be forced into the lifestyle by economic circumstances, mental illness, or other factors. Historically, hobos often sought work in the towns they landed in, working as migrant laborers in the fields, washing dishes in restaurants, performing other simple work in exchange for shelter, food, or money. Some modern hobos continue to seek out work as they travel, but many more are unemployed, relying on a variety of tactics for food and shelter. 
The hobo lifestyle has been romanticized and idealized, especially by those who have not experienced homelessness. Images of hobos riding the rails to seek their fortunes were common in many early 20th century novels, and hobos became especially high-profile during the Great Depression, when thousands of people were forced into transient lifestyles by the troubled American economy. In fact, hobos have a rough life, being a risk of injury, disease, and persecution from local authorities, as most communities do not like to house the homeless populations. In response to hardships of the hobo life, hobos have developed a very insular society. They use complex hobo code of chalk marks to send messages to each other, using universal symbols to convey information about train routes, the friendliness of specific houses, and so forth. Some hobos also abide by ethical code, which stresses the importance of behaving respectfully to ensure that hobos are welcome in a community in the future, and places a heavy emphasis on keeping justice within the hobo community internal, with penalties for stealing from other hobos, lying, and other infractions. In the mid-1800s, hobos even formed their own union, Tourist Union Number 63, to avoid persecution along their travels. Members of the unions tended to attract less scrutiny while traveling in the 1800s, with people assuming that they were traveling for work, and hobos took advantage of the protections offered to union members by having their own independent union. In 1906, Professor Leo Shafi, after an exhaustive study, put the number of tramps in America at about 500,000. His article, What Tramps Cost Nation, probably should have been cost the nation, nation yeah. was published by the New York Telegraph in 1911, when he estimated that the number had surged to 700,000. The number of hobos increased greatly during the Great Depression era in the 1930s. With no work and no prospects at home, many decided to travel for free by freight train, and try their luck elsewhere. Life as a hobo is dangerous. In addition to problems being itinerant, poor, far from home, and support, plus a hostile attitude of many train crews, they faced the railroad security staff, nicknamed Bulls, who had a reputation of violence against trespassers. Riding on freight trains is dangerous in itself. British poet W.H. Davies, author of the autobiography of a super tramp, lost a foot when he fell under the wheels trying to jump aboard a train. It is easy to be trapped between cars, and one could freeze to death in bad weather. When freezer cars were loaded at the ice factory, any hobos inside were likely to be killed. According to Ted Conover in Rolling Nowhere from 1984, as many as 20,000 people were living a hobo life in North America. Modern freight trains are much faster and thus harder to ride than in the 1930s, but they can still be boarded in rail yards. All right, next, we've taken these last couple of pieces off of the Wikipedia page, but what I found pretty interesting is they have this National Hobo Convention. I want to go. It's still going on, apparently, but I'm going to read the little segment here. Mm. But um, we've already talked about the Tourist Union number 63. Um, and all those things, which leads to the National Hobo Convention. In 1900, the town of Fathers Britt, Iowa, invited Tourist Union Number 63 to bring their annual convention to town, and the National Hobo Convention has been held in August each year since. Hobos stay in the hobo jungle, telling stories around campfires at night. A hobo king and queen are named each year and get to ride on special floats in a hobo day parade. Following the parade, Mulligan Stew is served to hundreds of people in City Park. Live entertainment and carnival and flea markets are also part of the festivities. I'm going to click on what it says for Mulligan Stew because I'm curious about what Mulligan, Mulligan Stew, Stew is. is yummy. What is Mulligan Stew? This is what it says for Mulligan Stew. Mulligan Stew is an improvised dish said to have been prepared by American hobos in camps in the early 1900s. A description of Mulligan Stew appeared in a 1900 newspaper. Another traveler present described the operation of making a mulligan. Five or six hobos join in this. One builds and rustles a fire. Another one obtains a can. Another has to produce meat. Another potatoes. One fellow pledges himself to obtain bread. And still another has to furnish onions, salt, and pepper. If a chicken can be stolen, so much the better. The whole outfit 
it is placed into a can and boiled until it is done. I don't think they mean boil the bread. I think they mean eat that with, I don't know, maybe they do throw the bread into it. If one of the men is successful at procuring java, an oyster can can be used to make coffee. And this is also put into a fire to boil. Incidentally, it may be mentioned that California hobos always put a snipe in their coffee to give it that delicate amber color and to add the aroma. Snipe is a hobo for butt end of a cigar that smokers throw down in the streets. Oh, God, that's gross. They throw a cigar into their coffee that somebody else has smoked. Mm -hmm. All hobos have a large quantities of snipes in their pockets for both chewing and smoking purposes. A beggar stew is a mulligan without any meat. The earliest known attestation is in 1899. Mulligan is a stand-in for any Irishman, and a mulligan stew is simply an Irish stew that produces includes meat, potatoes, and vegetables, and whatever else can be baked, scavenged, found, or stolen. A local Appalachian variant is burgoo, where the available ingredients might include squirrel and or opossum. Uh, only a pot and a fire are required. The hobo who put it together was also known as a mulligan mixer. That sounds delicious. Dude, beef burgoo is delicious. <sighs> I'm not real sure I want to partake of the uh, the cigar butt coffee. That just sounds disgusting and gross. Ugh, God, just thinking about it. Mm, it makes worse. me want to gag. It does. It really does. Hey, freaks and freakettes. What's up? My name is Sister Stroke, and if you're looking for some old school house, or you just need something to get you moving through your day, then check out my show, Brick City House. We bring the bounce every Wednesday night, 1 p.m. CST, 7 p.m. GNT. And that's right there at chicagohousefm.com. Or you can find us on iTunes. Go to Electronica, scroll down till you see Chicago House FM, honey. We are right there. Take care, everybody, and don't forget, freak free. Are you troubled by irregularity? Then listen to Access Denied, Humans Defective. Nine out of ten doctors say you'll shoot yourself every time. Access denied, humans defective. Download it from iTunes or directly from the show website at accessdeniedradio.com. Hi, I'm a skeptic. And I'm Bigfoot. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure you're not. You shut up, y'all. I'm Bigfoot and I'm running wild all over the U.S. of A. Well, you're not very well documented. Says you. I left tracks and possum innards all over the place. Well, my name's Blake Smith, and along with my co-hosts, Benjamin Radford and Dr. Karen Stolzno, we take a skeptical look at the evidence for all kinds of monsters on our show, Monster Talk. Other monsters? Like who? Well, our show's pretty new, but we plan to take a look at lake monsters, sea monsters, Mothman, the Chupacabra, the Yeti, Orang Pendak, ghosts, ghouls, goblins, zombies, demons, and we might even check out the monster that lurks under your bed or in your closet. Hey, you didn't say my name in that list. Honestly, we've already done two episodes on Bigfoot, but the topic does keep coming up. Hey, I know where there's a big old monster. (sighs) Where? In my pants. Don't go there. Instead, go to monstertalk.org.
Or look up Monster Talk on your favorite podcast aggregator. You mean iTunes. Shut up, Bigfoot. So now we're going to move on to the uh, laws, rules, and regulations, for lack of a better term. Uh, it's the Hobo Ethical Code. An ethical code was created by Tourist Union Number no. 63 during the 1889 National Hobo Convention in St. Louis, Missouri. This code was voted upon as a concrete set of laws to govern the nationwide hobo, bo- hobo body. I almost said bounty. It reads this way. Number one, decide your own life. Don't let another person run or rule you. Number two, when in town, always respect the local law and officials and try to be a gentleman at all times, unless you're stealing a chicken for a mulligan stew. <laughs> <laughs> Don't take advantage of someone who is vulnerable in a vulnerable situation, locals or other hobos. Number four, always try to find work, even temporary, and always seek out jobs nobody wants. By doing so, you not only help a business along, but ensure that employment should you return to that town again. Number five, when no employment is available, make your own work by using your added talents as at crafts. Number six, do not allow yourself to become a stupid drunk and set a bad example for locals' treatment of other hobos. Number seven, when juggling in town, respect handouts. Do not wear them out. Another hobo will be coming along who will need them just as bad, if not worse than you. Number eight, Always respect nature. Do not leave garbage where you are jungling. Jungling is a term for being a hobo and traveling, in case anybody's curious. I'm not sure if we covered that already. No, it is not being a gigolo from <laughs> ICP. Um, it's pronounced juggalo. Juggalo. I know, but I said jingling jug. I don't know. <laughs> now, I'm, now I'm thinking of the juggies from the man show. Mm. That's a weird transition. Anyways, number nine. Got a lot of those today. A lot of juggies? A lot of weird transitions. Yes. Okay. <laughs> wow. Boobies. If in a community jungle, always pitch in and help. Try to stay clean and boil up whenever possible. Boil up, I would assume, means take a bath. When travel, ride your train respectfully. Take no personal chances. Cause no problems with the operating crew or host railroad. Act like an extra crew member. Do not cause problems in a train yard. Another hobo will come along who will need the passage through that yard. Do not allow other hobos to molest children. Expose all molesters to authorities. They are the worst garbage to infest any society. Number 14. Help all runaway children and try to induce them to return home. Number 15, help your fellow hobos whenever and wherever needed. You may need their help someday. I want to go back to number five about the added talents at crafts. Mm -hmm. We actually have stuff that comes up through auction now that goes for good money, and it's called tramp art. Mm -hmm. It is stuff that was put together by hobos or by tramps, and it's usually like they'll take a cigar box and they'll whittle woods and different little trinkets and apply them to the cigar box and some of the work that they make is amazing. They make picture frames. They, like I said, they make the tramp art boxes. They're, they're gorgeous. They are absolutely gorgeous. And they take, a, they, they, it looks like they take a lot of time to make. They're extremely well crafted. And like I said, there are actual collectors out there that look and seek out uh, tramp art. How modern is this stuff? Or is it all art from the 1800s? Like, is it's there still a modern tramp art that comes through? Yeah, this is the stuff that we get through the auction house is, you know, late 1800s, early 1900s stuff. It's worth a lot of money. I mean, we had one box sell for like $500 and it was a, it was a, uh, it wasn't White Owl. It was another older brand of cigar and it was a wooden cigar box and it had, it, it, it had been applied to. It had wood that was carved out in crosses and everything else and it was all applied in a stacking fashion. Mm-hmm. So the top of it was like, had a pyramidal scheme on it. 
and then the outside was adorned with little roadside trinkets. It was gorgeous. It was a gorgeous piece. You get a lot of these that come through there? They come through. We see them probably once or twice a year. Really? Yeah. You get them in quantity or just one or two no, here and there? ones or twos. We've gone through people's houses, estates, and actually had found people's tramp art that they had collected throughout the years or, you know, so, uh, someone would have been traveling through um, a, a well-to-do area and they needed money and they would, these people would buy these pieces off of these hobos mm-hmm. and they'd keep them in there. They'd pass them down. That's how nice they were. Does tramp art have a distinctive pattern to it? Like you can look oh, yeah. at something yeah, and yeah, say that's tell, tramp art. Yeah, you can tell immediately what tramp art is. Absolutely. It's really cool. So another cool thing is that Hobos have their own little secret language of symbols and things like that. A hobo Illuminati, if you will. And, uh, Obolati? Hobo, uh, ho, hobo, hobolotomy? Hobolami? Hobo, no, hobo, not hobolotomy. Hobolotomy, taking the hobo out of you. Hobolotomy. <laughs> Triple optomy, hobolotomy. <laughs> Ain't no man going to take that route with me. But how? Wow. <laughs> it was from what? Hot Shots Part Two? Or how? Yeah, it was from Hot Shots. It was Washout, the guy with the double crossed eyes or something like that, which is not at all what we're talking about here. But mm. hobos have their own hidden meanings and symbols and signs and stuff to communicate with one another when they go somewhere. Like if they go somewhere and somebody offers them food, they have marks that they use to put in chalk to let people know what's where. And you know, like this is a cool place to go to. Don't go here. This is bad. The toilet paper sucks. What have you? Why don't you cover some of the hobo codes? Hobo sign code. Uh, To cope with the difficulty of hobo life, hobos developed a system of symbols or a code. Hobos would write this code with chalk or coal to provide directions, information, and warnings to other hobos. Some signs included turn right here, beware of hostile railroad police, dangerous dog, food available here, and so on. For instance, a cross signifies angel food. That is food served to hobos after a sermon. A triangle with hands signifies the homeowner has a gun. (laughs) That's great. I suppose you'd have that on the front of my house. (laughs) A horizontal zigzag signifies a barking dog. A square missing a top line signifies a safe. it's safe to camp in this location. A top hat and a triangle signify wealth. A spearhead signifies the warning to defend oneself. A circle with parallel arrows means to get out fast, as hobos are not welcome in this area. Two interlocked circles signify handcuffs. Makes sense. Hobos are hauled off to jail. <laughs> a uh, codius sign. Did I read that right? Caduceus? Sure. Caduceus symbol signifies the house has a doctor. Okay, that's all right. (laughs) Living in it. A cross with a smiley face. Wow. At its corners means the doctor in the office will treat hobos for free. That's that's nice. So what is is one of those symbols with a knife in it mean? Get out quick. (laughs) Doctor has a gun. (laughs) Wow. Cat signifies a kind lady lives here. A cat woman. A wavy line signifying water above an X means fresh water and a campsite. Three diagonal lines mean it is not it's not a safe place. A square with a slanted roof signifies a house. With an X through it means the house has already been burned or tricked by another hobo and is not a trusting house. Nice. Dude, wow. You screwed up, hobo. <laughs> you ruined Too it for sh- everybody. <laughs> yeah, screwed it up. <laughs> Two shovels signifying work was available. Shovels because the hobos perform manual labor. Another version of the hobo code exists in display in the Steamtown National Historic Site at Scranton, Pennsylvania, operated by the National National Park Services. All right, since we've covered all the other dry stuff, because up to this point it feels like we've just been reading from history books and junk like that. So this well, is we kind of have. One of the drier episodes of Project Archivist. Um, 
We're gonna, <laughs> it really is. What we're going to do now is going to go through some different hobo terminologies and different words that they use for different things. I guess I'll start off. We'll just bounce back and forth with a few different ones. One of them, since we keep bringing the term up over and over again, the whole jungle thing or jungling. What a jungle is, is a hobo camp or an encampment. That's where, I guess, where trains would normally stop. They have different areas where people can board them rather easily or get off of them rather easily. So what they have are hobo encampments, and these are called jungles. And these are usually found, or were usually found, from what I gather, underneath uh, train overpasses and clumps of woods next to rain rain tracks. Train tracks. (laughs) Rain man. Yes. And these would be areas usually, from what I'm gathering, just outside of freight train yards where the trains are coming in where they're going. Because you don't want to ride a train into a freight train yard because once you're in there you can't get back out without getting caught Mm -hmm. so the trains slow down before they go into the yard and these people would jump off so these would be exit and entry points and these are usually where the jungles would be found and these are encampments where you could go and it would be kind of like a hobo guild for the most part where people could meet up and they would say hey you know where can I find work in this town is there work here where does the next train line go things like that and they were also easy entrance and exit points from what I've been seeing there are which we're going cover towards the end of this there are still somewhat jungles left around but the hobos of now aren't the same as what they were back then but there are still spots where if you're afraid a freight train jumper or a train hopper that you can get off and on and people will camp off to the woods at the side or they'll camp under uh overpasses and stuff like that when rivers are dried out they have a place that they'll They'll camp out and stay. Um, these are often kept secret. They don't want law enforcement knowing about them, essentially. So which one you got? Bangtails, racehorses. Bangtails are racehorses? That's what it says. Okay. <laughs> uh, you got another one here. It's uh, They call them hook, scoop, or hook shops. And those are brothels. <laughs> got uh, Big Rock Candy Mountains. Uh, it's a hobo paradise as described in the song by uh, Harry K. McClintock. It's not an actual place. It's just a yeah, Big Rock world. Candy Mountain with uh, lakes of stew and whiskey too. I believe mm-hmm. it's a lyric from a song or something along those lines. Uh, you got a Gandhi dancer who's a railroad track layer, also called a stake artist. A black bottle. It's deadly poison allegedly given to hobos in hospitals. Many hobos believe that the bottle exists. <laughs> it was used to kill the sick and the poor. The last place a tramp would want to go to get sick was a hospital. There, the doctor or the nurse would force him to drink from a mysterious black bottle, which would kill them. So there's even conspiracies within the whole nation. Here, drink this. What's it? Don't worry about it. Just drink it. The Freight Train Riders of America, FTRA, a member gang whose reputation is analogous with the Hells Angels. The initials stood for Freedom Riders of America or Freight Train Riders of America. The colors of the bandanas reflect three distinct FTRA factions. Those who wear red mainly ride the rails across the southern U.S. Blue means they stick to the old Frisco line across the country's midsection. The black belongs to the riders of the so-called Highland that runs the twin cities of the state of Washington. Many FTRA members are Vietnam vets or ex-bikers. Many eschew a racist ideology akin to the Aryan nation. The black bandana-clad riders are the most volatile prone of the FTRA. A faction known as the Death Squad enforces the gang's agenda, which ranges from acquiring extra ID to taking revenge on squalors. So that's weird. There's actually gangs associated with the rail train hobo world. This must have been like a 70s thing or something like that, 70s or 80s, because I've never heard of this before. Well, if they're from the Vietnam War, then it would have had to be in the 70s. Yeah, it's, well, it makes sense. You had a lot of homeless people coming home from the war, so, you know, why not get around on trains? Sure. 
We got uh, bogeyman or boogeyman, a goblin, bugbear, or hobgoblin, a real or imaginary object of dread. The boogeyman comes in the middle of the night with his sack and steals bad children out of their beds. <laughs> and they are never seen alive again. It's a railroad crumpus. Yeah. <laughs> Mothers said this rhyme to scare bad children at night uh, that ended the boogeyman will get you if you don't watch out. Uh, down and out, a term to describe a person living on the edge of life. And this class of people are clerks and waitresses, factory laborers, beggars, hobos, and tramps. They also can include the working class of poor, the underclass, because if they died, the world would not miss them and go on without them. These individuals are also called down and outers. Bone orchard, a graveyard. Freaking awesome. <laughs> That's kind of creepy. A bone orchard. A donut philosopher, a fellow who is satisfied with the price of coffee and feed. He does not object to the donut hole getting larger because it will take more dough to go to go around it. He is the original breadline optimist. Boob or boobs, a simpleton. <laughs> Wait, I'll read the next one. From. A You're booby a hatch is an insane <laughs> asylum. <laughs> a booby hatch. I'm all about it. Circuit rider, a drifter who has steady income from a social security or veterans benefits. They drift in a specific pattern from city to city, reaching their home base on the first of each month when their check is delivered to their post office box. Most often the money is used for alcohol. That actually would be a pretty, I guess it'd be, of the hobo life, that would kind of be the setup. You get your check, cash it, and you go out on the road, and you tour around, you come back and get your check, and you go back out again. I wouldn't want to waste it on alcohol, I wouldn't think, but hey. Ah, come on. <laughs> you got to think like an alcoholic, man. Bump gums to talk with some uh, nothing worthwhile. Then we got canned heat, the use of intoxicants to fend off cold weather riding on freight trains, also called toke, toke blanket and hump. Hump. Nice. <laughs> Creep joint, a, a whorehouse where the girls are, are all pickpockets. Aw, and I'm going to do one more. Uh, this is brutal proposition. This is a graft within the legal system. A judge sentences someone to a fine and a jail term, but they then turn around and let the person go, knowing that the person does not have the money to pay the fine. The judge gets paid for the sentence. The lawyer gets paid for the convention. The, the clerk of courts gets paid for the commitment. The arresting officer gets paid for the arrest. And the jail gets paid for each day of, of your sentence. So if you're not actually serving your sentence in jail, they can all steal all the fees to make a living. As long as the same individual is not arrested too many times, the system continues to work. So they arrest you. They book you, do all this stuff. And they say, all right, get out of here. And they claim all the money for you being there without you actually being there. Nice. So My last one, Hobo yeah. Clown. A clown <laughs> in made up of hobo caught caught a lot of attention. What they really did was depict the way of life in America. And some people would, could relate to this during the Depression. Over 8,000 women and over 200,000 children rode the rails as well. There is a uh, gentleman by the name of Emmett Kelly, who was known as the Sad Clown, who was dressed up as a hobo. His depiction was that of a hobo. When I was a kid growing up, my grandmother and grandfather had a sculpture of that guy. Yeah, Emmett or, Kelly. Yeah, it was, you know, mm -hmm. it was the hobo with the sad face clown. Everybody's seen that guy, but the, the, you know, the, the the older people will remember what we're talking about. I don't think any of the younger, younger ones will. Yeah, but it was might. the guy with his face all painted up with the sad clown, all, you know, bummed out. Mm -hmm. But uh, it was actually uh there were two performers. There were there was Emmett Kelly and Emmett Kelly Jr. Mm -hmm. They were they were father and son, and they carried on uh, each other's work. It's like a classic piece of Americana. Oh, absolutely. All right, so now we're going to go with a few famous hobos. Some of them are with, not with us anymore. I'm going to start off with T-Bone Slim. And this guy's got a name. His real name is such a pain to pronounce. 
<laughs> T-Bone Slim was perhaps the 20th century's most famous hobo writer, born Maddie Valentinpoka Huda in 1880 to Finnish immigrant parents. He grew up in Erie, Pennsylvania, but at a young age left to travel the northern United States as a migrant worker. He was a member of the famous socialist group, the Industrial Workers of the World, also known as the Wobblies, and worked as a reporter for the radical Finnish newspaper in Duluth called The Industrialist. He penned regular columns for the newspapers like The Industrial Solidarity, Industrial Worker, and The Industrialisti? Industrialisti? Sure. Illuminati. Whatever. His work later inspired the American Surrealist Movement as well as the Civil Rights Movement. Never exhaust yourself, wrote T-Bone. There is nothing more disgusting than a man staggering home from work, dog-tired, grabbing a hastily feverish supper, saying goodnight to his family and rolling into bed half-washed to repeat the same 312 times per year. In 1940, while living in New York City, T-Bone slipped off the docks where he was staying at a boarding house for seamen and drowned. Utah Phillips. Utah was a legendary hobo singer, avid train hopper, and poet, as well as a strong union supporter and member of the Wobblies. There they are again. He ran for U.S. Senate in Utah as a candidate with the Peace and Freedom Party and ran for President of the United States in 1976 as a candidate with the Do Nothing Party. <laughs> Sounds like my kind of party. But Utah was best known for his music. He recorded tracks for Rosalie Sorrells, a famous folk singer from Idaho, and pen many songs of his own, such as Hallelujah, I'm a Bum, <laughs> Bread and Roses, Daddy, What's a Train, and Moose Turd Pie. That sounds like a winner. Oh, boy. <laughs> his most famous composition, which tells the tale of uh, his work as a gandy dancer or rail worker, uh, laying tracks across the Southwest. The CD he recorded with Annie DeFranco was nominated for an Emmy Award. Wow. Other songs have been played by the likes of Emmy Lou Harris and Tom Waits. Utah died on May 23rd, 2008, at the age of 73 in Nevada City, California, from complications of heart disease. Next, we're going to move on to Alexander Supertramp. And no, I will not sing the song this time. Uh, yeah, the behind the scenes, I, we've been singing Supertramp songs. That'll that'll show up someday in one of these episodes. Give I'm a sure. little bit! <laughs> or now. Uh, <laughs> Born Christopher McCandless, grew up in the suburbs of Washington, D.C., and attended Atlanta's prestigious Emory University. After graduating, he donated $25,000 a family friend gave him to pursue a large degree to charity, then changed his name to Alexander Supertramp and headed west up in a beat-up Datsun. He traveled through Arizona, California, and South Dakota, where he worked in a grain elevator and made several friends. In the desert, Southwest flash floods washed out his car. He left it in the desert and continued his journey by canoe, battling down, <laughs> battle, battling down the lower Colorado River with nothing much more than a bag of rice. Inspired by the rugged wilderness and spectacular isolation, he planned an even grander trip to Alaska. McCandless hitchhiked to Fairbanks and hiked into the wilderness near Mount Denali with a 10-pound bag of rice. He's got this thing for rice. A rifle rice is good, man. A rifle with 400 rounds of ammunition and some books. He spent the next few months living in an abandoned bus. He foraged for wild plants and hunted small game, like birds and porcupines. But after a few months, he had lost significant weight and was starving to death. I have had a happy life and thank the Lord. Read a note he had left to the world just before he died. Goodbye and may God bless all. Alaskan natives said McCandless was foolish and unprepared. Nevertheless, his story touched the hearts of many. John Kerouac's book about him, Into the Wilds, spent more than 100 weeks in the best sellers list and was later turned into an award-winning movie directed by Sean Penn. 
The abandoned bus he lived in is now a shrine for drifters, bums, and tramps alike. It's funny because Les Stroud talks about him. Yeah. Survivor Man, he talks about him, and the first thing he says is there was no reason for him to die. If he had gone out and known how to prepare a moose, he could have been able to survive that entire time. And off he makes the moose. that off the moose, yeah. Yeah, that's one, true. You know, he could well, one moose is a lot of meat, so I'll, yeah, it is. I'd be more worried about more worried about spoilage than anything. Well, no, if you know how to prepare it right, you can dry it, you can smoke it. Well, he had his bag of rice, so he did. Yeah. Now we're going to move on to a guy that you found, and yeah. we're going to close this piece out with some of his music. And this guy is a badass. He's he is. he's really cool. So tell us about him. Well, first of all, I'm going to tell everybody that the reason why I found out about him was from a, a Joe Rogan podcast that had Les Stroud on it, the Survivor Man. And he was talking all about this dude, C6 Steve. And I'm like, all right, oh, I got to check him out. Dude, I shut off Joe Rogan, did a quick search on C6 Steve, and I've been hooked on his music since. This guy is pretty bad. Dude, he's amazing. He's, he's cool. And his story is even more amazing. And he's still alive. Yeah. So um, his real name, uh, well, his name, he goes by as C6 Steve, like we stated. His real name is Stephen Gene Wold. He was born in 1941 in Oakland, California. He's a blues musician, but before he was a blues musician, he was a train hopper, which, you know, technically makes him part of this hobo group. But even more importantly was he's worked as a carny, a cowboy, and a migrant worker. And a direct quote from him was, and I quote, Hobos are people who move around looking for work. Tramps are people who move around but don't look for work. And bums are people who don't move and don't look for work. And I've been all three. Now, this guy has, he's known so many people throughout his life. Uh, in the 60s, he traveled around uh, with other blues musicians. He knew Janis Joplin. He knew Joni Mitchell. He was friends with Kurt Cobain, which is just, that just doesn't make any sense to me at all. He was finally discovered in 2006. You think about that. He started off his career as a musician in the 1960s, and he was he had his breakout in 2006 on in the UK, not even here in the states, on something called Jules Holland's annual Hoot Nanny on the BBC. Now the guy uh, has played numerous other times. Uh, it's, since then, he's got like 10 albums. Uh, he has his own web page. You can go on it. It's c6steve.com. He's got all kinds of stuff that's available from his albums to artwork to, to everything. Now, he plays many different kinds of instruments. He plays a box called the Mississippi Drum Machine. It's a wooden box <laughs> with carpet on it, and he just stomps on it to keep time. Now, that's when he plays alone. Uh, he has a drummer that plays with him, and he has a band that plays with him. But now here's the thing that blew my mind when I first heard about it, and I actually saw an interview with this gentleman, and when I told you, you pretty much told me I was full of crap until I you, yeah, you it. saw it. Now, <laughs> when he plays on stage, he has a drummer, but he also has this, this little-known gentleman who's a bassist, which I don't really know if anybody knows who he is. But his name is John Paul Jones. He played in now, a little band called Led yeah, Zeppelin, I think. Tiny, if tiny heard little them. band known as Led Zeppelin. Little indie John band out of England. freaking Paul Jones, dude. is <laughs> his bassist. He's played with David Grohl of the Foo Fighters. Like I said, John Paul Jones. The dude has been everywhere and done everything. <laughs> I mean, the dude is amazing. And he was a hobo. 
Look at the guy. He looks like a dirtball bum. But if you look at his videos on on YouTube, he's a storyteller, and he he's telling he tells these stories as he's playing the songs and stuff. But he's a blues guy, and I'm I've I've made no secret that I am a huge blues fan. I was yeah. telling you before we recorded that for me, blues is the dubstep of, of yesteryear. Oh yeah. Um, but he's got this instrument that he plays called the one-stringed diddly bow, and that's what you're going to hear in this song, where it's just a box with it's it's a one-string. It's a two by four. Yeah, semi loose <laughs> broom wire nailed to both ends. Yeah, and it's it's actually made for him by a name named James Super Chicken, and it's spelt wrong, Johnson. <laughs> and he plays it. It's he. It's, it's like a slide awesome. guitar, and he plays it with a with a screwdriver. Yep. <laughs> and the then he, before he saw... plays, he's like, "This is my drum machine." And he points down to the floor, and it's a stomp box with a piece of carpet on it. <laughs> Dude, it's amazing. The guy's awesome. He also plays a three string guitar. It's called the Trance Wonder. That's made for him. It's made for him by the Fender Corporation. <laughs> And what I really liked is he's got his amplifier, which is a Roland Cube 30, 30 watt amplifier. And it's placed next to him in a chair when he plays gigs. And most guitars go to, they go to 10. And if you're spinal tap, they go to 11. He lets <laughs> his, his setting, his final setting is tweed. <laughs> <laughs> so we're just going to roll out of this and roll into uh, C Stick Steve for everybody. Yeah, just don't speed up because I ain't so good at this. <laughs> just like right like that. Yeah, that's very good. Oh, wait. That's why I introduced my band as the Mississippi Drum Machine.
we've pretty much covered everything I think we can within the hour period of time. So I think it's fairly safe to say that hobos, you know, we know all about them and they expanded pretty well during the Great Great Depression. Hoboing still does take place, though, as me and you were talking about, it's not so much what it was now. Now it just appears to be a bunch of hipsters that, you know, hot trains where they can and go around the country, which... There are videos out there on YouTube. Go look them up. And a lot of them are pretty cool. A lot of them, there's there's independent filmmakers and students that have gone out and made films doing this kind of stuff. And even watching those is still pretty cool how they do this. But if you want to become a hobo, we're going to give you the instructions on how to do it. So let's just start off here with the American Heritage Dictionary defines a hobo as one who wanders from place to place without a permanent home or a means of livelihood. But the dawn of the internet and the increased dissatisfaction with the 9 to 5 routine have led more and more people to wonder if earning a living while on the road is a viable alternative to the daily grind. If you're thinking about becoming an opportunistic, I almost said optimistic again, opportunistic and resourceful transient worker, keep your costs low, your responsibilities simple and your freedom intact, here are the questions you'll need to ask yourself and the preparations you'll need to make. Now, some of these we've already touched on, but we're going to go over them here for the simplicity and purposes of the article. Take it away. You get number one. Number one, remember the difference between hobos, tramps, and bums. Hobos are people who travel and look for work. Tramps are people who travel and don't look for work. Bums are people who neither travel nor look for work. As we've stated many times throughout this show. And C6 Steve said it too. <laughs> uh, number two, farmhand. If you have ever thought about being a farmhand, there are places all over the world that offer housing, food, and stipend and experience in exchange for getting your hands dirty. You can time our travels to follow the harvest seasons and around the country or even around the globe. Number three, take stock in your skills and experience. Historically, hobos have made their living from manual labor, but that doesn't always have to be the case. Any skill that is wide demand and does not require an extended time commitment can be useful to a hobo. Yeah, it's supposed to be anything at that point. As long as you can advertise your services and earn people's trust, ideally through references. You can do anything. Some pursuits that lend themselves to lifestyles are landscaping and construction. Many migrant workers who cross international borders find work in this area. Landscaping and construction. Many migrant workers who cross international borders find work in this area, as it is the least demanding in terms of language barriers. Having experience is essential, however, as you'd be required to work with potentially dangerous equipment and machinery. Fishing. Serve as a deckhand, cook, or fisherman as you travel the high seas. Any web-based service such as writing, editing, or programming. Number four, establish plan B. This is a serious, life-altering decision. Don't abandon everything suddenly and disappear. You need something to come back to if your life on the road doesn't work out. Make sure all your debts are paid and your responsibilities are handled before your departure. If possible, have some savings set aside before you go that you can access while you're on the road. Emergencies happen and they cost money. Number five, be prepared. You may like the romantic idea of leaving with nothing but the clothes on your back and whatever is in your wallet. But this is a surefire recipe for disaster. You must assume that you will be sleeping, cooking, traveling, and essentially living outdoors unless you decide to drive a car, which would kind of defeat the purpose of being a hobo. How will you get from place to place? Hobos are often associated with train hopping because this is what many hobos during the Great Depression did. A car can double as transportation and sleeping quarters, but keep in mind that gas is expensive. Man, no kidding. And upkeep on a vehicle is a major expense, and if the expense bothers you, hitchhiking is a good option since it's free. Some hobos prefer bicycles. Hobo on a bike. <laughs> but this will limit your range the war to warm weather regions and limit how many you can carry. How m oh, how much? I'm like, wait a minute, you're traveling alone. A motorcycle can get where you're going faster. 
but has maintenance requirements similar to those of a car, though not the same degree. Buses are also an option. Greyhound, in the U.S. at least, offers steep discounts when you purchase tickets a week in advance, or even more for still earlier purchases. Buy tickets at the station for the best deals. Web purchases have an extra 3 or $4 tagged on whether the tickets are mailed or on call. Where will you sleep? Unless the place you work can offer housing, you will have to sleep in your car, if you have one. Urban camp, squat in abandoned building, or stay in hostel or motels. Another option is using Communities Directory Online to find urban co-ops, land trusts, and other alternative housing arrangements, which often welcome guests. See directory.ic.org. Yet another option is a traveler's network such as couchsurfing.com or globalfreeloaders.com. Awesome names, which offer free lodging to those who intend to contribute in kind or in other ways. Consider the costs and dangers associated with each. Where will you take showers? Some campsites have showers, but many don't. So you may consider purchasing portable shower equipment. You can also obtain a membership to a national gym chain and use the showers there, provided you actually work out and maintain your appearance, or just not shower at all. How will you defend yourself? A nomadic lifestyle can be a dangerous one because you're constantly putting yourself in unfamiliar situations. And you're probably alone, both of which can make you a target for theft and assault. You'll need to outline some precautions you can take such as always letting people know where you are, carrying a cell phone, and only going places there's a reliable signal, having an alert system or weaponry on you. In addition, always know where you are so when you call for help, you will be able to give them directions. Number six, make a list of connections. Look at maps of the areas in which you'll be traveling and determine whether or not there's anyone you know, directly or indirectly, who lives in there. Ask your Aunt Sally if your great Uncle Billy still lives in that cabin in the woods. <laughs> that sounds wow. fantastic. Ask your friend if his cousin still works at a car dealership in Utah. Most importantly of all, ask if it's okay if you can get in touch with those people in case of an emergency. Some people might offer to make arrangements so that you can actually visit, which is always nice. Just be a good house guest. Number seven, make an itinerary based on the type of work you plan to do, the connections you have in place, and the places you'd like to see. Do as much research as you can beforehand. Make a list of places you can stay, eat, shower, camp, etc. It's also wise to look up churches and shelters and other services that are offered to the homeless. The more prepared you are, the more you'll enjoy your travels. Number eight, learn the hobo code. Historically, hobos rely on a shared system of symbols that fellow travelers know about their current environment. The symbols can vary from a place to place and may no longer be used in many areas. Number nine. Hit the road. Leave your roots behind. Find a place to live and work from day to day. See the sights of each new place you visit. Make interesting friends. <laughs> you never know when, when they might lend a helping hand. Life on the road means that every moment is your own. With no schedule and no responsibilities, except keeping yourself healthy, you must decide how to best use your time to achieve a balance between work, travel, relaxation, and entertainment. Enjoy the variety that each day has to offer. You're earning it. And lastly, number 10, don't hesitate to dumpster dive. <laughs> You're not going to catch me doing this. <laughs> you wouldn't believe the amount of free, undamaged food that is thrown away all the time. 
For best results, check behind smaller grocery stores and fruit markets as they usually don't invest money in sealed garbage compactors. Although, these can sometimes be opened as well. Just be careful. Nope, nope, not going to happen. I don't feel like getting smashed Star Wars style on a food compactor. Oh, Fast food chains are also usually good, but more traditional restaurants generally don't waste nearly as much food. Although, if you are really hungry, you can usually find at least something there. I'll pass on that. You know the um, one thing they didn't mention in this? No. A good fishing rod. You know, that's true. Yeah. You, basically, when you're out doing this, you got to pack for camping. Um, yeah. The days of carrying a stick with your your valuables over your shoulder in a little bag are pretty much gone. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, people Probably get do away this. with having it in a rucksack, you know? Well, the videos that I've seen on YouTube, everybody has a backpack, and they always have a tent. They, they always have some kind of a little pop-up dome tent. They have a sleeping bag, uh, change of clothes. You know, it's it's different than it was back then. But I, like I said, I didn't think people still do this because of the security and things like that. But, yeah, people do. People do, and they get out there, and they get around. I ain't going to lie. There's been a lot of times where I've thought about hopping on my bike and just going, but, you know, can't do that. Got away family, kids, responsibilities and stuff. Damn it. You know, but uh, I'm not real sure I'd want to do the train hopping thing. The idea of just hopping on a bike with some money in my wallet and saying, I want to go here, check this out. I'll be back in a couple of days. Heck, I've thought about doing it to get out to you in Connecticut. I'm not going to, right? you know, it's like, how many people <laughs> do we know from the show that live between here and Connecticut? Hmm, there's Bad Hammer and... Me. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Oh, no, David G. But David G is pretty much right around the same place. Exactly. <laughs> so there you go. That'll pretty much bring this week's show to a close, I guess. I guess we covered everything that we can within the amount of time that we've got. So let's get away with uh, get underway with all the usual stuff. If you'd like to send us a voicemail, 734-681-0459. I need to figure out if I can change the opening message for that. It's always the same generic. The person you're trying to call is not available right now. Blah, blah, blah. Should be able to. I don't see why. I don't see why you wouldn't be able to. Yeah. We need to change that because, as this episode demonstrates, sometimes we use those voicemails. Well, we use them all the time. People call and leave voicemails. We use them. If yeah, that one that's those... in the beginning is off of my phone. Yeah, that's right. You want to give out your number? 203-213-9975. If you want to send us an email, it's projectarchivist at gmail.com. Um, as we were working on this show and recording it, developments in the t-shirt front have come pretty nicely along. Jeff Ritzman over at Paranormal Waypoint, uh, formerly of Paratopia, he hangs out on the page sometimes. We've had him on the show numerous times. Everybody by this point should know who Jeff Ritzman is. Jeff threw a fantastic t-shirt designed together for us. By the time this episode goes live, the t-shirt should be up at Cafe Press or just about to go up at Cafe Press. I'll put a link up on the Project Archivist webpage. Um, you can also have a link up on the Facebook page. I'll put a link up in Twitter. Any way that I can get a link out there to get these T-shirts up there, I'm going to get up there. They're really cool T-shirts. They've mm-hmm. got the Archivist guy on there. They've got the arcane symbol. They're really, really sweet looking. They really are nice. I want, like, everything. I want the long sleeve shirt in black and white. <laughs> I want the mouse pad. I want the water bottle. I want the whole shot. The T-shirts are going to be about 22 or $23. We really don't make a whole lot of money on them, but for us to get T-shirts made and not be able to come up with $1,000 out of our pocket to have them made and shipped out to everybody, it's easier just to have the cafe press do it. But all of the money we make off of these T-shirts when we sell them is going to go back into paying web hosting and junk for the show, microphones, whatever the heck we need. All the money is going to go right back into the show again. It's definitely not going to go off to buying Moxie and beer. (laughs) But I think (laughs) – 
Notice he didn't mention anything about buying boxes of chocodiles when they're back on the market. Mm-hmm. That ain't gonna happen, I don't think. I still I think don't it think is. The chocodiles I are coming. I think it back. is. I think it is, man. I, I think don't it think is. so. Even if it does, they only sell them on over on the West Coast. They don't. The sell only them. reason why they sold them only on the West Coast was because that's where the that's where the, the uh, distribution was. point was. But if they're bought out by somebody here on the East Coast or in the center, you know, the middle of the country. That takes away that prospect right there. They See, can ship them everywhere. Though, because we had a distribution center down the road from me in Toledo, Ohio, mm-hmm. and they didn't have them there. Nope. So, you know, but we're we're going off course here big time. And this is different. <laughs> How? Find us on Twitter because our Twitter feed's blowing up pretty nicely. We've picked up a lot of new people through Twitter. And you can find us just by typing our email address on Twitter at projectarchivist at gmail.com. Our, you would think typing in Project Archivist would find us on Twitter, but you can't because we don't have enough characters or whatever. But we're, we're able to be found on there. We're on the Google Pluses. You can look for me up. Uh, look me up on the Google Plus, Rojan. You can look us up on Facebook. A lot of new people are joining the Facebook page. Welcome, everybody. Mm. Um I think that's everything for this week. Did we cover everything? We got all the bases covered. You know what? Next show. Oh, uh, the serial killer show. That's going to be a little late. It's not. We're going to have it around Valentine's, our usual serial killer Valentine's show. It's going to be a little late this year, though, just because we're swamped down. We've got another show coming up this weekend that we have to record, and we had to take the chance to record that show when we got it. So um, the next couple episodes are taken care of, but the Valentine's Day serial killers, our annual look at serial killers, is going to be a little past Valentine's Day. It'll be a little late, but it'll be in the ballpark. Mm. So you're still getting it. Is that it? Is that everything? That's everything. I think so, yeah. I think that's everything. All right, well, this is Rojan. Peace out from the D. It's Lobo from Connecticut. Brent, Vegemite still sucks. We still haven't gotten any. <laughs> we got played, dude. We've sent, Ve- we've sent Brent all kinds of stuff, and we still can't get tubes of Vegemite yeah, but from you know Brent. what? Here's the thing about that, though. Uh, for us to send something over to, to Brent, it's like 22 bucks to ship a box over to him. Yeah. Right? It's $45 before the tariff. To ship out of Australia? To ship out of... It's, it's going to cost him like 100 bucks to ship us a box. To ship us tubes of Vegemite? Yeah, dude, anything. Jesus, this with all this like, Nestle quick drink they have over there, all this stuff. Dude, Australia's full of goodness, including poisonous animals. <sighs> Lots of poisonous animals. I guess that's it. Peace out, folks. Peace.
Let's try this again.